Hello, Tune In listeners. You are listening to Tune In Radio for Your Mind, Body, and Soul. I am your host, Keela Parkinson, and today on our show about mindfulness and all the ways, we're going to be talking about freedom in healing and the ways that we can be very intentional with our healing journey, um, whether that means going to a million doctors or whether that means seeking out healers or gurus or whether that means writing our own stories and creating our own healing journey arc. And we have the perfect guide to guide us through this excellent experience, please help me welcome healing coach Jennifer Juniper. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the show. Hi, Coach Kiki. It's really <laughs> great to be here. It's so fun to have you here to talk about this because um, you've got a blog that I got to read and I got really sucked into your story. And I love the things that you're doing because they're so different, I think, from the way most people live, especially most people who live with Crohn's disease as you do. So where in your journey of how you live today and how you got to where you are, would you like to begin our conversation? <laughs> um, that's a very good question. <laughs> I've been on this journey for maybe my whole life. Mm-hmm. I think I was raised in a very, I'm so far from how I was raised in the strict tightness. Mm. Uh but I suppose when I first got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, it's probably a good place to start because that was the impetus for everything, really. Mm-hmm. How old were you? Uh, I started having symptoms my junior year of high school, mm-hmm. so I was about 15. Yeah, so just and... moving into womanhood a little, <laughs> right? Yeah. And lots of upperclassmen pressure. Mm-hmm. Finally, back in public school, I've been in private school for about five years against my wishes mm. and finally got back to public school. So reintegrating back in with my friends who had moved on and made their own friends in that time. It was a very pressured time. My father, who was very inconsistent in my life, I call it like Morse code, mm. would identify our relationship dashes of distance and then we'd have a dot of time together Mm. it's like a presidential term like every four years he'd kind of show up and we'd reconnect and then disappear again and Mm. this time that he was showing up he had been in a motorcycle accident Mm. and was in intensive care in a coma and they Mm. didn't think he would make it through the night so lots of pressure on my little 15 year old psyche yeah. I was a big psyche when I was 15 but now yes when right I say it, <laughs> oh my lord yeah 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 so much pressure then and so gosh all this is happening and what were some of the first symptoms you were developing around this time double over pain mm-hmm uh, my first memory is being on my head being on the dash of my friend's car after school and he's rolling a joint and I'm just hugging. I would hug myself when it happened mm-hmm. and trying to push the pain back in and mm. just hold myself together and breathe while it passed. And he passed the joint over. He's like, maybe this would help. And I thought really in the interest of anything working and helping, I tried it and it really did relax and diffuse the situation. So I already had an inkling that it was stress Mm -hmm. and emotion related. Yeah. And, um, you know, Crohn's is, uh, a disease of the digestive tract and the, um, the internal organs in this way. And so, um, diet is a huge factor in this. Um, I know that you said eventually you got to the point of being able to kind of figure that out. So what was the path between onset of symptoms and getting to that? Well, it was a very duck and dodge Mm. kind of of six years of not telling anyone that I was sick. I, the, the trauma and secrecy in my family that generated my disease perpetuated my secrecy. Mm-hmm. Like something that was a foreign language, there was always secrets coming out mm-hmm. in our family. And it was, I was telling somebody this yesterday, it's such a shifting ground. People think kids don't know, but kids know. Yeah. And you can sense And the adults think you can't handle it, right? Oh, you're too young to understand. But I already feel something. And you not telling me 
It's actually making it worse. I could handle the truth. Mm -hmm. It was this monster like under the water. Mm. And that secrecy, even though it was foreign language to me when I was a kid, amazing how as you get to be a teen and a young adult, it starts to become a native tongue. Mm -hmm. I just got used to keeping secrets and telling people things on a need to know basis because that's what I saw. Mm -hmm. And I was just scared. I didn't have a lot of trust in adults at the time. So I kept it my own little secret for six years until I yeah. ended up a junior in college and finally said something to my campus doctor at the health services who had me track. His first thought is let's track what you're eating, right? Yeah. Let's track what you're eating. Let's see if we can eliminate one thing like dairy and see if you get better and nothing. It was like failing a class I never signed up for. Nothing, no food was jumping huh. out. It's like, oh, when I took out dairy, I felt better. No, I mm. still felt in it like I was digesting razor blades dipped in Tabasco. Ooh. That's the best way to describe my number one symptom. Oh my goodness. Well, there's a great siren going off right now in this part of your story, just, just, just to underscore the urgency of this piece of the tale. I tell you. <laughs> right, that's we're going to find the synchronicity. Exactly. <laughs> right, that's right. Exactly. So I mean, because that what a description, right? I mean, that's um, that's what it felt like on the inside for you. And so you would be tolerating this at random. And how long would about like that where you're doubled over in this intense pain be lasting then? It could last time really warps in those situations, mm -hmm, sure. but it would it would be minutes okay. and you'd start to sweat Ooh, and yeah. your breathing would be affected. Sometimes it felt like it was hitting a wall and it would have to back, you know, kind of stop and it would gurgle. It was almost like it was saying to everything, like, back up, back up. Mm -hmm. We can't get through here. Back mm -hmm. up, back up. Mm -hmm. And then it would scrape and tumble and gurgle its way backwards a bit. So maybe I'd get some nausea mm -hmm. and heartburn. Mm -hmm. It's like having the flu mm -hmm. that wouldn't that wouldn't go away. Yeah, that there's no relief from. Um, and you also don't know anyone who has these things. Yeah. It's a weird thing. I just talked to somebody the other, the other day who's got something with her knee. And how long has it been going on? Oh, you know, longer than you like to admit because yeah. you don't want to believe there's something wrong with you. Yeah, right. That's one thing. First of all, we're we're taught often to ignore our pain, to push through, to power through, right? To ignore these messages from our body. And so we're going to get even more into, um, you know, how you have really created that thread for people um, in what you call a tapestry, which I love, right? Your healing tapestry. Um, so, uh, you know, and I want to say that with Crohn's, I know it can feel different for everybody too, but that it's really common for um, to live with years of symptoms that you don't understand, even if you aren't somebody who keeps secrets, right? Even if you're going to doctors and explaining things, because the way you describe it may not be the way it reads in a medical textbook. And if someone hasn't experienced this or seen the cases on a regular basis, you can be kind of, you know, just speaking in a vacuum for a while and trying to figure it out. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that. I've yeah. heard people go through test after test after test. That was not my experience. Good. I mean, I was the delay. Mm -hmm. The doctors, once I got, I mean, I, I've talked to that college doctor actually since then. Mm -hmm. I found him. And he said, I didn't do a very good job if those were your symptoms. And I said, well, I don't know how honest I was about mm. how bad I was. Mm -hmm. But once I got to a regular doctor, a specialist, things went pretty quickly. Good. I was handled very well. I was with a specialist. He knew exactly the tests we were going to run. And he said, by this time tomorrow, we'll know exactly what you have. That's good. That's good. And but that is good. I thought that was normal, but I guess mm -hmm. that's a unique experience. 
It's for a lot of people. No, right? Yeah. Well, and nowadays too, you know, so Crohn's is something that now there is a template for at least, right? And there has been for a little while. Um, And then, you know, nowadays we're seeing the kind of the same pattern happen with a lot of the autoimmune disorders until like this sort of template gets created. We sort of know what we're dealing with, right? Then it can be years and years again. But a lot of times for these digestive things too, they can mirror each other. I see people get misdiagnoses, right? So I'm really glad to hear that that part was not part of your, your journey. No, and, and and the certainty of landing, I mean, landing in the hospital was scary for mm-hmm. me, but landing with somebody who was certain and that, and, and knew what to do about it was a mix of comfort, but also uh, a freak out. Yeah. I think I had sure. been running and pushing it away. Mm-hmm. I was a student, I was working and I just kept pushing it. It's amazing what we can put up with. And how long we can put up with it. But once he left, like with all of his certainty, it was like a black hole. Like he Mm. sucked all of that certainty out with him. Mm. And I fell apart. I just collapsed in on myself. I think all of, I think it was part surrender. Mm. It was part feeling like you were caught, feeling feeling (laughs) like you were exposed, (laughs) feeling like, He's all these strangers taking over my body. I'm going to be under anesthesia. I've talked yeah. to this guy for 10 minutes. Yeah. And it's going to be, you know, well, we're going to put a camera up your end. Yeah, right. It's a lot to trust. I think it's a lot to trust. Mm-hmm. And I had a history of chronic ear infections when I was kids, a kid and doctors not being able to fix them. So I didn't have mm-hmm. this whole hallelujah moment. The doctors are here yeah. to save the day. I was like here we go again mm-hmm. and what'll happen. And in that desperation, I often have prayed that before and since, but this was not a prayer. This was not a formulated conceptual prayer. This was just a, at the end of my rope slipping off mm-hmm. prayer mm-hmm. and the experience of God that I had simultaneously with that like snot mixing in my cry Mm -hmm. and then a whole feeling that filled the whole room like a blanket coming around me of peace of certainty of comfort that something had me Mm. outside everything looked still the same and crazy but inside like an eye of the hurricane Mm. It was quiet and secure. That's beautiful. And amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. I love that description. And you know, if you're if you're tuning in and you're listening to our conversation with Jennifer Juniper, who is a healing coach and is experience, sharing her experience of her own healing journey and the very beginning piece of it, you can see why I really was drawn to her blog and why you know just the way she describes these things just really kind of pulls you in. Um, so let's just go on a little bit further here. Um, well, first, let me just since we're on a little. We're on a natural pause. Let me say, hey, listeners, you're listening to Tune In Radio for Your Mind, Body, and Soul on WVLP 103.1 FM. I am your host, Keila Parkinson, and our show is underwritten in part by Kiki Productions, Inc. Communications Coaching, teaching exercises to help you cycle out of fight or flight in the moment. With a mission to create individual harmony to add peace to the world, Kiki Productions, Inc.'s philosophy is when you are confident, focused, and authentic with your message, you are a magnet to those you wish to attract. Learn how you can speak your truth with love at coachkiki.com or visit our newsletter at buildbetterhumans.substack.com. So again, we're speaking with Jennifer Juniper and she is a healing coach and you can find her at jenjuniper.com and uh, you're going to hear even more about some of the things that she's going to share with us about her own healing journey and also the ways that you, if you're on a healing journey in a very broad form, we'll talk about that too, then, because uh, I think who's not on a healing journey of some sort, right? Then, you know, how uh, she can help and how you can read some things and how you can also just empower yourself with some great tools and some exercises that she's going to share with us along the way, I am certain. So you're describing this great moment, Jen, of um, getting that certainty, right? Be- being connected, having a diagnosis at last. Um, and 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 it wasn't, <clears throat> I love this piece. It was not like the certainty of the doctor that gave you, oh good, you know, this is, this is the relief I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. It was 
the surrender moment that you had and where like some kind of higher force said, you know, wrapped you in a blanket in a way and said, you know, you're safe and someone has you. And so that is such a beautiful moment. And I think that um, for people who truly get healing, that's a really, in my experience, it's been a really integral part of it. I agree. Yeah. You're the, the belief in a power greater than yourself, whatever you want to call it. And as yourself, it's mm-hmm. interesting. The power of me, not of me, but in me and mm-hmm. through me, mm-hmm. me is what I mean when I say God, not some guy up in heaven deciding if you're going to go to heaven or hell when you die. I have no use for a God like that. Yeah. But like a good friend who's just a little further down the road Mm. and my higher self is connected there. I trust that. And actually that's about the only thing I trust. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. And I'm going to, I'm going to say to listeners, you know, wherever you are in your religious or non-religious journey, that's not necessarily you know, this, our show doesn't endorse any specific belief system, but we definitely want to hear all about our guests' experiences. And I think the more we can find, like, the the common thread in these fabrics, you know, then the, the more I think our tapestry of experience grows and the more we can really connect with each other and, and relate. So thank you for sharing that piece, too, because, again, this is that piece of mindfulness that we're looking for. It's sometimes in the esoteric. It's sometimes in um, the enigmatic, right? It's sometimes in the um, paradoxical and... And so all these things are welcome as we really explore these things on the show. So, um, okay, tell us what the next step in your journey was after you did get then some confirmation from medicine and and what happened for you next. And that was actually, and I've had other experiences like that Mm. of God. So I knew it was similar. I had one in desperation when I was eight waiting for Mm. my dad. So I was like, oh, this is an older version of Mm. that feeling Uh, The universe has a way of meeting us right where we're at. And that's another beautiful thing. You might think, oh, this doesn't seem like this would be an expression of God. But there's there's actually a lot of little little ones that you can attract and find. But anyway, so I did all the prep that night, which is not a good not a good fun time. But the Mm -hmm. next day (laughs) when the doctor did diagnose me, he he did know exactly what I had. He said, you, yeah. you know, I woke up to him drawing ulcerations in a, mm-hmm. on a page of mm-hmm. an outline of the digestive system. And he said, you know, you have Crohn's disease, yeah. you're full of ulcerations. Mm-hmm. He had dashes down from my throat into my stomach when mm-hmm. I woke up and they were all through my intestines. So he's like, that's why you've been feeling so bad. And you think, great relief. I have this name this disease and then they go on to tell you it's incurable it's chronic wow we'll try to manage it best we can you'll go into remission you'll relapse you'll have good days you have bad days but there were this was over 30 years ago there were only a couple of things you could do you could do a sulfa drug that dealt with inflammation and you could be on steroids Mm. and steroids have a whole host of side effects while you can't stay on them so the Mm. idea was get me full of steroids, get me to go into remission, slowly like Mm. sneak the steroids out the back door and my body doesn't notice and just keeps feeling well. Yeah. And that was so not my experience. It didn't work. (laughs) Frustrating. Yeah. 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 And if that's the only, yeah, concept for healing, then I, I would guess it would be easy to go into despair again. You're two and you're, I'm like 22. So to be told this at a very young age, you look at the rest of your life. I remember those words. He's like, you'll have to take these pills for the rest of your life. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It just echoes in your head because the rest of your life is a very long time. Mm -hmm. But he also said an amazing thing. I thought he left. So he says this to me. I look out the window of my room, just trying to absorb everything that he's told me. And then I hear his voice and he didn't leave. He had started to leave, but he had turned around and he was telling me, you know, I seem to have two groups of people with this disease. The first group listens to everything I just told you. And it's true for them. They suffer. They have bad days, good days. He said, but I have the second group. They ignore everything I tell them. And they get better. Hmm. 
And he said, the only difference I can see between the two groups is a power of decision or is a decision. He didn't even say the power. The only difference I can see between the two groups is a decision. Hmm. And then he left. Wow. I love stories like that. Uh, People in the medical field who are so dialed in, right? And we've had some guests like that on the show, you know, nurses who have worked in hospice and, um, you know, are... um, move into Reiki field, um, that Tina Jackson, that was a great interview. Um, we have some really great experiences like this that people have shared with us. Right. And I just love these personal stories that either I've experienced or friends or family have experienced of people in the medical field who really know that there is something more to healing than just what is done in the operating room or, you know, in the doctor's office. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And a partnership Mm -hmm. between their degree mm-hmm. in education, which I, I would not take away from them. That no. is important. Yes. But then my intimate knowledge of my body that I've been with since birth, that I've been with the most of anyone, mm-hmm. when you can make a partnership with your provider of, of those two things, I think amazing, I know amazing things can happen. And this guy, for being a young doctor, seemed to already see that and he gave me that gift i might have found that out anyway Mm -hmm. i was a psychology major so i was already studying the mind i knew the mind was powerful that's why i wanted to go into the field but for someone to invite you to not suffer in a prognosis of chronic suffering Mm -hmm. is very huge and not every doctor does that or sees that mm-hmm. but they're out there and they're important to find I tell people that all the time what should I do if my doctor's like I get another doctor I yeah really right yeah <laughs> they work for you I'm paying right. them right they're actually my paid staff and if they're not going to <laughs> right they're yeah. not on board with the mission statement mm-hmm. of my body then they're probably not going to get there yeah, I love that. I love the idea of, of thinking of, you know, my medical care providers as highly educated paid staff, right? Who they're experts, obviously, they know more than I do. I trust their judgment. And also I get to make the final call. You're an expert in you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're all our own primary care providers. Mm-hmm. We, it starts with us. Yeah. Even your primary care provider. Well, that would be your secondary care provider. Yeah. Because I, who made the call? Right. Who made the appointment? <laughs> right. Who drove to the appointment? Who said, I think there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. and I better go talk to yeah. someone. And who's, I made right. those decisions. Who's the so one who's I'm going to primary care? Yeah, I love that. I love that, Jennifer. I love <laughs> who's the one who's going to pick up the medication, take it on a regular basis, right? Choose to, you know, eat this new diet or not and how to integrate it in, in steps, right? Like that. I really love that idea. This idea that we are our initial primary care providers and that we are the ones we have the relationship with forever. Thank you for sharing that with listeners. Yeah. yeah, it's your body. Oh my gosh. So yeah, who knows your body better than yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Nobody, even a degree cannot teach you about me it can teach you about somebody with the similar that presents similar to me mm-hmm. but you actually don't know me yeah it's true um okay so then did the, everything open up and everything got magically so great then, for you <laughs> yeah, right. so he leaves and i'm just i'm sure my mouth is hanging open at this point and his nurse also amazing i mm. mean I would want everyone to have this doctor and nurse. That would be my, and and maybe that's my role is to be for people who didn't have that doctor mm, and nurse. Then yeah. let me be that for you. The nurse steps into his eye line and says, so which group do you want to be in? Uh-huh. Oh, nice. Really? Nice. <laughs> uh, I said, I kind of like to sound of the second yeah. one. Yeah. Uh-huh. And is this really this easy? Mm. Like, I can just claim it. And she says, good. And she pulls a notepad out of her scrub. She scribbles something down. She says, here's where you start. And she rips it off and hands it to me. And I think, oh, it's going to be like some passcode to a clubhouse or some <laughs> meeting site. Love it. I don't know. Some <laughs> mantra to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even have the word mantra. Then. Yeah. <laughs> I was still pretty traditional 
religious at this point, I think. So I don't even know if I would have mantra. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, it was a book called Fit for Life Ooh. by Harvey and Marilyn Diamond. And okay. I thought, hmm, that sounds like a diet book. And I was already losing weight and very mm-hmm. sick and malnourished. Mm-hmm. And what would I need with a diet book? Mm-hmm. So I stuck it on my fridge. I did the easy, I took the easy pill popping route. Yeah. Because why wouldn't you? It's pick up something from the yeah. try their way. And I could not get off these steroids. Mm. I would end up in the emergency room in the middle of the night, getting pumped full of steroids, getting diagnostic tests, needle sticks all over again, and sent home with another calendar. Okay, wean off the steroids. And it was a merry-go-round. But like, just like a kid, when you're on the carousel and waving, you're like, oh, there's the hot dog stand. There's the roller coaster. Yeah. This is good. It's like, yeah, here's the hospital doors. Mm -hmm. There's the IV bag. There's the dye I had to drink. Then it was barium clay. They didn't even have CAT scans. It was lunch. Mm -hmm. I mean, Crohn's disease was rare. Mm -hmm. You said Crohn's disease then. Nurses asked you how to spell it. It was so uh rare. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm even feeling more isolated because, you know, this is working for everyone else. Why is it working for me? Mm-hmm. And I think after a few rounds of it not working for me, you know, when you had steroids, you're in the fridge a lot. So where mm-hmm. I had put Fit for Life on the fridge door, I saw that a lot. Huh. I was always hungry. I was always in there eating. Okay. And you know your pity prayer? I call it my pretty prayer. I tried everything. Mm, yeah. <laughs> It's still suffering, and yeah. this little voice goes, mm, haven't tried everything. You haven't tried everything, yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't be. You wouldn't be suffering anymore. So, all right, what was the magic bullet? Was there one? So, so then I started. I thought, okay, I'm going to try this book, Fit for Life. Mm-hmm. Like, what have I got to lose? So I went to the school library. I got Fit for Life, and it was pretty thick. There was a lot to look at. I was already drowning in textbooks. I'm a senior by this point. Yeah. So I'm really, really busy. I'm already working in my field. College was an hour drive away. Mm. Um, but she, Marilyn Diamond said something really great that we all need to remember is that you can make one little change mm. and it can ripple. Mm-hmm. You can get the effect on one little thing. So the book was thick. The reasoning was all there, but it was about food combining, you know, what what three hours to digest meat, half hour to digest hmm. fruit. So you don't want to eat those things together. If you eat something oh. that takes three hours and put something that takes a half hour on top of it, it's just going to sit there and rot mm. like a garbage dump. Ooh. It can't get through. Hmm. So, and your body gives you all sorts of feedback about this, right? The bloating, the burping, the gas, because it's basically telling you, look, my system isn't designed to do what you want it to do. So I had to restructure how I ate. But the one important thing she said was the easiest thing you could do is take fruit and just eat only fruit in the morning. Fruit Mm -hmm. takes about 30 minutes to digest. Your body in the morning is coming off of a mini fast, really, Mm -hmm. of the night. It just is still detoxing. And your brain needs glucose. That's the one food your brain needs. And fruit automatically go, fructose and glucose go really quickly together. And she says, try this one thing. If you try nothing else, eating only fruit until noon. Hmm. So I thought, that's easy. Okay. Oh, that's easy. I'll try that. Okay. And that started to get, that started to help. I started looking at then some other things like carbs go through really quick, meat doesn't. So I started separating that. And, and then I went to another doctor and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling like better. And he's like, oh, the medicine's helping. I go, no, I'm eating like this. And he's like, that's not how anyone with Crohn's should be eating. You oh, shouldn't no. be eating raw vegetables. There's too much fiber. You should be peeling those apples and cooking them. You should be eating white bread. Huh. I was. I said, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm eating healthy. Yeah. Like, You're not eating. No. And really tried to get me to not eat that way and go with his diet. Mm-hmm. And did you? 
What'd you decide? Oh, good. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I love that because I'm such a people pleaser. I guarantee that, especially in my early 20s, I would have been like, okay, I was wrong. Let me do it your way. And whenever it doesn't work, I'll probably think I'm doing it wrong again. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. I, I could see that. Mm-hmm. And again, had medicine not failed me so much when I was younger mm. or had I not been such an independent person, you know, who knows? But I knew at that point, had I not been a psychology student, who knows? But yeah. all of those things seem to be merging together. And my dad used to love to tell me, you know, when I was crying over some boy, a man, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a yeah, I love that one, yeah. <laughs> Like, it's just so glorious guy. He loved to say mm-hmm. it. He loved to tell me. Funny. I could do anything. Yeah. So that resilience just, and I knew, again, in my gut that this doctor, whatever, wherever he was thinking, and then I had the other doctor setting me up, basically giving me permission yeah. to ignore. I love that. Well, while you're down too, honestly, you know, that's, that's a good big dot that he left for you right there, right? And the dash dot system of your lives together is that he gave you that dot to say, yes. I don't need this man, even if he's my doctor, you know, I'm, I am the authority in my own life. So thanks, dad. And the proof isn't right. <laughs> yeah. And he wasn't there for, I say my dad wasn't there for a lot of my mm-hmm. life, but he was there for some really important hmm. times of my life. That's interesting too. And I like how you have that thread. It's an honest thread, right? You're honest with yourself about it like you know wasn't ideal and here are the things I did get from it so um, I love that too I think that being able to look at that uh, is part of our healing journey listeners you're listening to tune in radio for your mind body and soul on WVLP 103.1 FM streaming live around the world at WVLP.org our show is underwritten in part by universal love clothing universal love clothing creates beautifully designed positive affirmations and pairs them with the coziest eco-friendly fabrics in the world to bring you clothing you feel good in find your perfect fit at universalloveclothing.com it's apparel that inspires you and the world around you and we thank you to um, to our underwriters and also to our station, WVLP. You may be catching us on the podcast. And so if you want to learn more about the station, you can go to WVLP.org. And um, we would love to interact with you, too. If you're listening to us, listeners, tell us your story. Where are you on your healing journey? Is it physical or is it emotional? Because Jennifer Juniper, who is our guest today, our healing coach, who is available at jenjuniper.com, is going to give us even more insight into this part she's been talking about, this emotional piece of the journey and um, and then where it's taken her. So we're at, in her story, we're up to the part where now she's um, taken some authority in her life and she's uh, making some some changes to her diet, which of course, with a digestive disease, right? That's one of the first things you want to be able to do to just get off that medical model wheel that you were talking about with the steroids and the calendar and all of that. So, um, so that got you to, I'm guessing, um, start to see patterns in the rest of your life. Tell tell us more about how those threads wove together too. Well, a psychology degree is very good. When I signed up as a psychology major, I thought, Oh, yeah, I'll probably help people with this. That would be a good career. Yeah. (laughs) What I really thought was, even if I never work in my field, it's probably going to help me with me. Yeah. be a degree in healing myself. So that's exactly what's happening. I'm learning more and more through that degree. I'm learning about, you know, rats and how they'll push a lever Oh yeah, a the addiction lever that studies. Give a shock or mm-hmm. a pellet, and they'll push a lever like almost a thousand times. That gives them a shock for one time. That's a pellet. Wow. There's also the authority experiment. I mean, these are just things that still stick with me thirty yeah. some years later. The authority experiment, where somebody is delivering, they think they're delivering a shock to somebody yeah. in the other room if they get the answer wrong, and then the authority's got the white coat on telling them to turn it up, even though they can hear the Mm. person screaming in the other room and they still keep doing it. And I looked at that and thought, wow. Yeah. The authority that other people can have overriding other people's moral code. That's a very powerful statement. 
It's so powerful. And like, you know, because when you read about those studies too, you, you hear that like um, the people who are the test subjects, right? That they're, they're protesting, they're begging not to do it. They're writhing in pain. Sometimes they're feeling the physical pain of, you know, the empathy for the other person and still they'll do it. Right. Like so often. So yeah, that's powerful. It's programmed in us and Mm -hmm. programming is deep and it's strong. Even if you think, Oh, I don't want to be that way, but your default will be that way. Mm -hmm. And it takes some doing to break out of it. I was a born rebel, so (laughs) I was a sassy brat, which is probably also on my side. Yeah, right? Yeah. But I started looking at that, of course, and then looking at my doctors. And what started to happen for me was the little bit of goodness from the changing the diet. Plus, kitty corner from my campus was a food co-op which was also wonderful. Mm. I had two campuses to choose from. Stevens Point was more prone to health and wellness. And I just thought, well, that sounds nice. I don't know what the other one was prone to. So I thought, Mm. well, that sounds good. I'll go with that one. And the campus was smaller. And I thought, oh, that'll be good. So there's a food co-op. And this is the importance of support. So I was doing the fit for life thing, but that's a book, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to people. I started going to this co-op, started buying foods and learning about foods. And they were doing, you know, of course, they're baking stuff that's very good. The the muffins, they're they're still muffins, but they're healthy. Mm -hmm. These little spinach things. And I would go in there and I would just talk to them and they would point me in a new direction. And I'd talk to them and I'd take something else. And pretty soon this was becoming... Like my little support group mm. and they were encouraging with my changes I was feeling better so when I talk about like a treatment tapestry of figuring out I'm I'm pretty much going to have to do this myself right mm. the doctors aren't going to do it so I'm going to do this tapestry myself so the first tentpole was the nutrition was the fit for life mm-hmm the second tentpole would have been attention. Me really listening to my body and treating myself like a lab rat. Oh. Like, okay, the doctor says I shouldn't be eating this way, but I don't know. All these experiments came out of these lab rats that I'm watching in class. So I'm going to be my own lab. I'm not going to listen to anybody's expertise. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it as a suggestion. I'm going to try it in my own body and the proof is in the pudding. And mm. if it works for me, then then it is true. That is that is the definition of truth. I love that. And I started listening to myself and checking in. And I had, because I had a wonderful nurse practitioner once tell me, your body is always trying to talk to you. And it starts with a whisper. Mm-hmm. The littlest symptom will be like a whisper, like a sniffle, right? Like, yeah. oh, my nose is a little runny. And she said, it'll get louder and louder until it is screaming at you to be heard. So so that always stuck with me. Now, granted, my body was screaming by the time I listened, but I doubled back again. This truth just hangs out there waiting for you. Mm. And so I started kind of watching what I was doing, paying attention to my body, watching my mind, because I was seeing how much mind was affecting body. And my third tentpole would have been, would be affirmations. Mm. I had to go to continued ed classes. I was already in my degree. I was already in my field, a couple of jobs, like 10 hours a week. And I was already seeing the effects in that job. I was working with parents that were on, they weren't abusive Mm. enough to have the kids removed from the home, but they could see that that could develop yeah so i came in to teach them hey how can we break this cycle from how you were parented let's try something else mm-hmm. and got them connected with the community and i was seeing them change and i thought wow they have some of the same issues we were raised similarly mm-hmm. so watching that watching them and then also going to continued ed conferences which they want to make sure you're not burning out and taking care of yourself so they would have like affirmation books and you know just nice little like magic wands that you could kind of move and relaxing with the gel and the yeah stars. yeah the glitter and, and yeah they were there just to nurture the nurturer mm. is what it was mm-hmm. and i picked up an affirmation book I've yeah. never really heard of an affirmation book but i picked one up and you know you flip through it and i'm going this is not how I talk to 
myself. Oh, yeah, right. That probably felt so, I mean, kind of those things can seem so weird and crazy, right? Like, what is this? Who talks to themselves like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is some little, what I used to say was, what is some little fortune cookie size Mr. Mm -hmm. Rogers statement going to do for me? Like, what Mm -hmm. power could Mm -hmm. that possibly have? Mm -hmm. Well, let's find out. So, tentacle number three, buy an affirmation book. Let's see what happens if I do this affirmation. Okay. Well, lo and behold, it starts to get in. In the beginning, it feels so foreign. Mm Mm-hmm. But after, it's like a new pair of shoes, right? You're like, these don't, they look cute, but they don't fit right. Yeah. But they're so cute. You have to keep wearing them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then pretty soon, you know, if it's right, if they're right for you, they start, you start to break them in. And that's exactly what my mind was doing with these affirmations. I didn't believe these. Mm -hmm. I can handle whatever comes up today. I believe in my own power. I'm a confident person. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm going to say them anyway because me saying those things means I'm not saying the other things that I usually say. Yeah. That's all good. Perfect. I was going to ask that it change your self talk. I love that. Okay, good. So those are your first three of your seven temples. Even if you don't believe it, it's still must. Yeah. So yeah, right. I yeah, yeah. That and I started feeling that changing. That was taking pressure off of my body as well. When I graduated, I got into a full-time job and I got to work with people full-time and we were doing something called the nurturing program. The Mm. whole family would come in. It was wonderful, 12-week program, more immersive than what I was doing before. And at the end of every night, we did, there was a meditation in the end of the workbook. So I said, oh, I'll read it. You know, never done a meditation. I'm like, I think I'd like it. Another little gut instinct. So turned down the lights, you know, got everybody to lay on the floor, and I read this meditation for them, right? I'm right. reading it for them. <laughs> like, trying to do an art project with glitter. Like, right. trying to get glitter. Right, right, right. I love that. That's good. So, I'm reading the meditation as the lead facilitator, but lo and behold, hmm, I'm relaxing. Mm-hmm. This feels nice. Wow, my belly's relaxing. Ah. This feels really nice. Oh my gosh, is this what peace is? Because I was kind of like the Tasmanian devil mm. inside. Outside, mm. I looked, I did not look like that. Okay. But inside, I was just always churning. And in this five minutes, there was like the churning just slowly, you know, mm. lost its volition. Nice. And there was no churning, and it was so nice. And the next week, I brought music, and I started doing them at stoplights. I would remember part of the meditation. Oh, yeah. and, do it at, and I slowly started to recalibrate from an intense person to a not-so-intense person. And that started to weave into my practice. So that would have been my fourth tentpole of, again, coming at it from my mind and seeing that what I was doing in my mind was calming it. Mm-hmm. That sounds beautiful. And we did also, along with that, you know, there's the, I learned about the placebo effect in college. 70% of people got better on a sugar What's that about? I know, right? It's so high that I, you know, placebo is typically 40% or higher in anything. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that's like 50 That's almost I like know. a coin flip. I'm like, you know, I feel like, I feel like that's kind of like the thing that everything needs, right? Like if, if you were to take the pill and told, don't, it's not going to work. I feel like that would have more power than the medication. I don't know. I just feel like yeah. that's a pretty high stat. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. And Joe Dispenza references in his book, you know, You Are the Placebo. Mm-hmm. He says that now pharmaceutical companies do, like, double blind. They do all of these yeah. studies to try to beat the placebo. Because... Well, <laughs> they try to beat the placebo. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I remember saying to a doctor, you know, isn't this a conflict of interest for you? He's mm. like, what do you mean? I said, well, if everybody gets better, what what's your job? And he just thought I was kidding, but I was being very serious. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. If we all get better, you know, you'd have to do some. You'd have to go do something else. Yeah. So, and you have to use your mind. I'm not saying don't go to a doctor. I don't embrace or eschew modern medicine. I just find it incomplete. It doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go to the level of mind. And yeah. I look at healing like a like weeding your garden. If you don't get it out at the root, it's going to grow back. So to me, yeah. taking a pill was like snapping that weed off at the top. And yeah. I was fine when I was on the pill. But lo and behold, as soon as I'm off of it, it's just grown back. It wasn't dealing with my mind. And one of the other experiments we got to watch, this was the semester before we graduated, was a woman going around to different therapists and seeing which modality she liked. So Mm. she went to Behavior Mod with Skinner. She went to Rogers for Rogerian. She did a Gestalt. She did like four different modalities. And at the end of it, they asked her which one she liked, and she liked the Carl Rogers one and all Carl Rogers did was listen to what she said hmm. and go well it sounds like this is what you're saying uh-huh that that was it her just being heard yeah so I left there and made an appointment with a therapist okay so my fifth temple would be what I call the excavation so that I mm. could get digging into what was at the core of me where where was the energy for this disease where was it getting its power from Mm -hmm. like where was it coming from and i knew enough now that i knew i had unresolved trauma in there i knew Mm -hmm. i had stuff in there Mm -hmm. that as much as i wanted to be different i was still this still the narrative of my childhood and sitting with a therapist i tell people I have a therapist for the same reason. I have a gynecologist to help me see the places that I cannot see by myself. <laughs> I love it, right? You need to shine a flashlight in your own head. <laughs> Listeners, you're listening to WVLP 103.1 FM. In our conversation with Jennifer Juniper, she's giving us her seven tent poles to hold up the tapestry of health. And I love this whole metaphor. We've talked about the first five, and she's going to give us the next two now. So uh, I'm, I'm seeing a therapist. I'm getting at the core of my stuff. There's something wonderful, too, about on a, a professional saying to you, yeah, this I could see when you share stuff from your childhood. And she says, yeah, I could see how that would have some, some ripples effects yeah. for you as an adult. And it's so affirming, again, to go, I'm not bad, mm-hmm. I'm not wrong. In my, in my growing up probably could have taken me out of there and put someone else in and the same things would have happened. Mm. So that was liberating. And an oasis in the day where I could talk about what I wanted to talk about with no judgment. And it was such a relief. I left there a little bit lighter Mm. every time, even if it stirred something up, some weight that I was carrying, I felt like I left like boxes. I think a basement your body's like a basement where you just mm. store these boxes of stuff that you don't want to deal with. You have to deal with that. The mm-hmm. mind part is unpacking those boxes and going, okay, we got to go in there. Um, so in that new job, the wonderful thing about that new job was I met somebody who actually had the sister disease to mine, ulcerative colitis. Uh-huh. I had never met anyone who had ever had Crohn's or mm. even heard of it. Okay. So even though I have a name, I'm still feeling like a weirdo over here. Uh-huh. Plus, I'm not getting that much better, so okay. I'm also feeling like a weirdo. And so she had said to me, she said, I don't know, we must have got an honest moment, and... She said she had all sorts of colitis. And she said, you know, you don't have to go through all this on your own. There's a foundation and they have resources. There's support groups. You can go to those right away, right to the foundation. So I did. And so my sixth, tenth goal would be education. Mm. I educated myself instead of what the doctors had told me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to dig into this foundation. I'm going to read this whole book. I'm going to go to these support groups. I'm going to learn for myself about this disease. And that was very empowering. Not so much the support group. I actually left there going, I'm never going back to this. They were not my people. I didn't. 
Oh, that I okay. So I'm guessing it might be for the same reason as why you left the one doctor, right? This idea of kind of staying stuck in the same pattern and that, yeah, uh huh. And some support groups can be like that, right? I thought your sixth pillar was going to be support when you said that you know you found this foundation, but I love that it was education and you went back to that core of being the expert in your own life and your own decisions and your own future casting. Nice. Yeah. And it is supportive. Knowledge mm-hmm. is power. Yeah. So the knowledge, I guess, was the support. Yeah. Also, you know, you're reading about other people in the book, and and at the end of the chapter, the last thing they that they talked about. I mean, I picked through all the stuff I knew, like I was mining this chapter. Mm. Like, there's got to be something in here that I haven't tried, and there was. The last one was surgery. Mm. Like you can do a bowel resection. You can cut out part part yeah. of the bowel and put it back together. And people get relief from that. So I'm like, that's my way. I close the book. That's what I need. I need a doctor to go in, do that. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I booked a surgical consult with a doctor. And he said, you are absolutely not a candidate for surgery. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ever touch you. And I'm like, but I read about it in this book. Yeah. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> They don't, they don't have it like you do. Like he goes, I would have to take everything. Oh, you have Mm. this disease everywhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so another devastation. Yeah. I, I start crying. I tell him everything I've tried. I don't know what else to do. I said, I'm not leaving here until you agree to operate. Okay. Like something just comes up out of me and says, no. Okay. This is the way. I okay. know this is the way. And I have no other way. So mm. I'm not leaving. And so seventh tent pole is advocacy. Mm. He tells me, look, I can appreciate your situation. Yeah. But it's even if I take out the worst part, it's because that's what I said. We'll just take out the worst part. Yeah. And then <clears throat> I'll get a little bit better. And he said, even if I took out the worst part. You'll get about six months remission. It's going to come back right where I cut you open and sewed you back together. And you're not, and if I take out too much, you'll have worse problems. Mm-hmm. And I was like, six months? I can't get a week. I can't get uh, mm-hmm. six months. I really want to do that. And so eventually he agrees. I up my mind game. I get more meditation tapes. I get ones on surgery specifically. I'm listening to them during the day, different ones at night. And when I go in for my surgery, I have another tape for the anesthesiologist to listen to while I'm under. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, here, play this when I'm out. Well, again, it's the 90s. He doesn't have a boombox on his. He's never had this request. So he goes to look for a boombox. Yeah. My doctor, I said, come here. I said, when we're in there, you have direct access to my unconscious. You Mm. can't say anything bad. You can't. All you can say is how strong I am. Okay. How healthy I am. Nice. How good I look. If you have to say anything negative, you have to leave the room. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I was really sure between my schooling Mm -hmm. and between what I was reading Mm -hmm. and listening to in these meditations, I was so clear Mm -hmm. that this was my way that now I'm just calling, I'm just calling the shots Mm -hmm. and yeah, went in and did what he had to do. And I got, I sent him an anniversary card after the first year and after the second year and after the third year. I love it. I think after five years, I stopped sending anniversary cards. But you still have what? Health? It's been over 30 years. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And so do you still have flare-ups? <clears throat> I don't. I had, no. I mean, I had a doctor once tell me, a different doctor say, you're, uh, there's no way you had curl. He's like, you must have been misdiagnosed. Oh, like, that's so funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> There, you know, for so many diseases, right? For so many diseases, there's such a belief system in some people in medicine from the training that, you know, that disease is forever, that remission is impossible, or that it is weak, or, you know, um, and also that, honestly, just the the concept of remission, right? I mean, 
I I live with periodontitis, um, but I had two experiences of switching dentists who were like, if I didn't see this on paper, I wouldn't know that you had gum disease, right? And I'm like, right, because I did all this, again, like um, envisioning and the mindset and the affirmations, a lot of what you're describing without like naming it and thinking about it, but a lot of that and just imagining like growing back my gums, even though I had been told that I couldn't. But those numbers changed when they were measuring my gum every time I went to my extra visits. And then, you know, and I now I go regularly instead of having to go every um, six weeks to eight weeks, you know, I go regularly to the dentist. I've been doing that for eight years or so, right? And I mean, and the same thing, it's like, okay, so you'll always live with this and um, it will always be excruciating, which it's not. I don't have anywhere near the issues I did when I was younger before I even developed the gum disease and, um, and the same thing. Right. And I, and it's funny to me because I think like, so no one was surprised when my gum was coming back. So where does this idea that, you know, you can't outgrow it or you can't grow it back. Where's that come from? If they're like, this can be the pattern. Like, where does that even come from then? I don't even get it. <laughs> I just don't get it. It's such a limiting know, belief. I, I can't get there. <laughs> I think we're, we, that's just what you call a prognosis, yeah, right? You have right. a diagnosis and yeah. then you have a prognosis. Yeah. They kind of is together. And, yeah. But you can intercept. Yeah, right. You know, Norman Cousins, who did Anatomy of an Illness, got actually yeah. misdiagnosed with tuberculosis. Okay. Tuberculosis when he was younger because the x-rays were very old and blurry and he too said there was two groups of people you know Mm -hmm. one that that wanted him to suffer with them and then Mm -hmm. the other group that was like "Mm, that's just what the doctors are saying but we don't really listen to what the doctors say we make up our own yeah biology belief right yeah the person has but then there's the person that has the disease and that's the variable Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I want to write that down. <laughs> okay, so I've, I've, I've made a special request of Jennifer, and it's that she reads something from her blog to us because she's gone through this amazing arc, and we haven't even gotten to this amazing lifestyle that she lives. So we only have about five or six minutes left of the show. Will you read this, um, this article from your blog called Flip or Flop that kind of sets up for, like, where you've taken your life since all of this, right? And how you now are using this to be a very free person who has found freedom and healing and lives everything that you practice and preach. Oh, what a lovely intro. I love it. Thank you. Yes. So we, uh, this is called Flip or Flop. It's on my blog, Solo Chick Traveler, because I started taking some trips, little ones, you know, little tester, little baby steps. And then I went, backpacking to Australia for three months and in Thailand for about a week and then I just realized I really just wanted to travel all the time mm. but that's crazy for somebody with a chronic illness mm. like you you can't do that so this is a story about what precipitated this this is a good story it's uh-huh. also a picture of me scraping uh, gunk off a floor <laughs> which is one of my one of the toughest things i've ever tried to do Mm. okay flip or flop and it starts with a quote some things are best mended by a break i know i promised last throwback thursday to write about the three things that led to my gypsy life on the road but there was one big thing that cleared the way for them and i'd better talk about that first i bought a house This probably sounds like a move in the opposite direction, but stay with me. (laughs) A broken house, bought with a man I was in a broken relationship with. Perhaps I thought I could fix them both. The house was a foreclosure, the deep neglect of it, assaulting my nostrils with a stench of mold so strong I thought it must have opened the door itself so it could escape. A small pond had gathered in the basement, black mold climbing the walls like velvet wallpaper. Wires and plumbing hung from the rafters where the furnace and hot water heater had been ripped out. If a house could be raped, this one was. Mm. Plugging my nose and holding my breath, I couldn't see any potential through my watering eyes as I ran back out to the motorcycle waiting for our ride to resume. But Em could. 
he convinced me we could flip it, make a profit. A few months later, when the lease was up on my apartment, I moved into this work in progress. Everything I owned in the garage, an air mattress on the floor where spackle would fall all around, but thankfully never on. I hung drop cloths for curtains and aligned my transformation with the houses, knowing that when it sold, it would send me somehow, somewhere. I've been escaping winter more and more and for longer and longer, leading to the realization that the world was too big and beautiful to keep living in one place. With each trip, my grip around the only place I ever called home loosened. I was living on a launch pad. Hmm. Searching through paint samples prompted the searching of my mind. I was looking for what spoke to me on both fronts. Caribbean aqua blue and moving to an island, afterglow and afterthoughts, all the things I'd miss leaving all my friends. Would I do it? Would I be miserable? I painted walls and contemplated possibilities, altering us both, designing the bathroom while searching new designs for my life. Out west, I loved the Zen feel of Sedona and our hundreds of hikes. Farther, the part of California where some of my dad's family lived had a chic vibe with laid back surfer towns, a quiet drive away. Into this reverie and renovation came an invitation to attend the wedding of Em's cousin in New Zealand. Our feet were dangling from the chuppa, chuppa? Where, I fresh, where a freshly minted marriage had vowed till death do us part. But my relationship was dead on arrival. No, nothing had happened. There hadn't been a fight, none of the usual drama. Just an insight breaking across my heart, as soft as the mist beginning to fall. That's how I knew it was true. We're not going to make it. Mm -hmm. This will never be us. An inconvenient truth only three days into a trip on the other side of the world. The timing was weird, diddle the location. Our vintage dress and the black and white photos would show us having a great time, our inner demons distracted for a while. But there was no mistaking it. A chasm was opening between us. M was sitting and talking right next to me, but he felt farther away. The mist turned to a soft rain, drops hitting my skin like punctuation marks. Okay, I get it. To make sure it rained harder, in exclamation mm -hmm. points. We ran into the big tent and joined in celebrating the newlyweds' love with a night of drinking, dancing, and laughing. Everyone was happy. We were happy. I pushed the chuck of revelation away back to the inkling it typically was. But the next day, it started to develop like a photo appearing in the dark room, faint at first, then more defined with time. As we traveled to the tip of the North Island, officially named the Far, Far North, I could see it clearly and had to call it. Each linoleum square on the kitchen floor represented the intermittent intimacy in our six-year on-again, off-again relationship. Both had fallen out of fashion. Both took time, strength, and deep determination to rip up, my motivation rewarded by what I was uncovering. The original design, hardwood floors, and a heart ready to shine. I learned mistakes could be corrected, sanded out, painted over, remeasured, and recut. No one was going to look at my results as closely as I did. We took chances on a lavender accent wall in the living room, the belief everything was always getting better carried me and a trust in the outcome for the house and for the new direction of my life. Gave me inner peace and power. There was a dis divine designer in charge. Um, P.S. I like to sleep on everything I write, editing it the next day before posting. I'm on my way home and quickly pop into a medic. Mexican restaurant for some guacamole to go. Without knowing why, I decided to dine in instead, amidst chips and salsa. A song I'm used to sing while strumming guitar comes on. It's old and obscure. I'd never even heard of it before him. And it's no mistake it's playing now, in the hang time of this piece being published. Now I know why I felt pulled to stay, and I'm glad I did. Em and I may not have been good romantic partners, but we've been great business partners. 
and the house venture is what opened the way for me living on an island in January. I love it. <clears throat> I love it. And this is a good, it's a good ending piece to our conversation because what people don't know is that the solo chick traveler travels around and blogs her way through and builds this community of, of healing, coaching clients and, and your, um, you're living out there being brave and taking all these things. And I love that you call, you know, the tenets of your healing practice, these poles in your tapestry, right? That's such a gypsy reference too. I just love it so much. Jennifer, it's been so fun talking with you. I can't believe how fast our hour went. We're actually a little over time, which apologies to WVLP. And thank you to our listeners. We love you. Any last words you want to say as we sign off here? Thank you for the opportunity to share this story. I read other people's stories like this. That's a lot of what my encouragement was. Mm. So I really hope this encourages someone else to say, I need to cut this tether on my life however I can do it so that I can be free because we all, we all deserve to be free. We all deserve freedom and healing. Thank you again, Jennifer Juniper, and we will see you later, meditators.